If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 4. We're going to get there in just a couple minutes. And if you need a Bible to follow along, just raise your hand. We have some Bibles. And as always, um, those Bibles, we'd love for you to take those with you. And if you need a Bible to sort of study through the week and um, you'd like to have a copy of that, just take it with you. A couple things to mention. This past Wednesday, we had a little update on the capital project that we've been talking about for not quite a year, about six months, uh, May of last year, we introduced the idea of Fearless, which is a campaign to build a new building on our property. Uh, and we hadn't talked about it in a few months with the fall and then Christmas. So we had an update and we're going to post this week uh, the video and audio from Wednesday night if you'd like to watch that and kind of get up to speed with what's going on. It's exciting, so I hope you'll watch it. I'm not gonna tell you what it is because you should have come Wednesday, you know. Uh, but you can find that. We'll post that link so you can watch that. Also, membership class tonight, if you have not uh, become a member or if you've never been through the, that class to, that talks about how to partner with us in our mission to love God, love each other, and love the world, we would love to have that conversation with you. It's not too late to sign up. A lot of times we make decisions. It's too cold to go fishing today for most people or go play golf or get in the pool. Uh, so uh, you might as well come today. So just let me know. Uh, there is child care provided. We'll have some refreshments and it's from four to six today. Um, this week, a couple guys from Two Rivers and I, I don't know if they're in the room. I think I saw Dave here. I'm not sure if Chip was here, but we, we drove up to Elizabeth City. Is it hot in here? This is the hottest sweater. I wore this today because it's cold in the foyer, you know, and um, it's hot up here though. So I'm gonna do this right here. Catherine, I apologize, it's on your drums. Um, so we drove up to Elizabeth City to meet with a friend of mine. His name's Dan Smith. He's the executive director of an outreach called Maritime Ministries. Now, the two guys from Two Rivers um, are avid sailors. They, they both love the water. Both of them have sailed quite a bit and, the, and, and both have lived on boats for like an extended amount of time in their lives. Matter of fact, I think Chip lives on a boat right now. And so I wanted them to get to meet Dan who does this ministry to people who sail and I wanted them to hear about maritime ministry. So we had lunch with Dan, and he's showing them around, and he shows them the docks and telling them about the ministry does uh, all over the world. And it's pretty fascinating. Uh, most of what these three boat geeks are talking about is way over my head. Like, I have no idea what they're talking about. But it was fun to kind of hear the conversation. These guys are super smart, and they're just kind of geeking out about boats and, and ministry. They both love those two things. So it's pretty cool. Uh, maritime Ministries has connections literally all over the world and people who are in the Salem community and reaching out to the Salem community and encouraging churches uh, all over the world. So at the end of our tour, we're kind of wrapping things up. Dan says, I want you to meet Patrick and Rachel and see their catamaran. I said, okay, I don't know who Patrick and Rachel are, but I'm in. So we get in our cars and we drive maybe five or 10 minutes outside of Elizabeth City uh, and pull into this farmhouse. And on the side of this uh, farmhouse in the yard is this, what I would call a small uh, catamaran. You know, catamaran has two, has, it's the two with the thing in the middle. Is that two holes? I don't know what you call it. Um, anyway, it's a, but there's a small, I would call it like what you would learn to sail on, that size catamaran. And, and Dave, who's with me, says, well, I hope he didn't drive us all the way over here to show us this. You know, like, it's just laying in the yard. It's like, he said, later he said, that's the kind of boat you see everywhere with a take it for free, it's yours. You know, like that kind of. <laughs> That kind of boat. And so I sort of agreed. I don't know anything about boats, but I was like, man, I hope we didn't drive all the way out here for this. And it was laying in the yard. And uh, so Patrick, the, uh, the guy who lives there, comes out and we meet him and he takes us toward this outbuilding. It's a pretty, 
It's a, it's a pretty big barn or garage. It's bigger than a garage, not quite a, you know, barn dominium. You know, it's a pretty big, uh, it's a pretty big thing, maybe 40 by 60 feet, 40 feet wide by 60 feet long. And it had a small sort of garage door on the end, like just big enough to get that small catamaran inside the building. And then it had a walkthrough door on the side of the building. So um, we walk up to the, the walkthrough door and we walk in this barn and bam, there is this giant, what I would call a giant catamaran. Like if the building is 40 by 60, the catamaran is 35 feet by 55. I mean, like it fills the entire barn. It is, it is overwhelming. I couldn't believe what was in there. I was like, I don't know how he got it in here. Well, I, I do know. He built it in the barn. This guy, Dave, or Patrick, has been working on um, building this for the last 10 years, basically by himself. Matter of fact, Dan said, first time I walked in this barn, it was just, this was just a pile of wood. Like it was, there was no boat. And he, from scratch, has built this giant catamaran with, uh, and, and their idea is for he and his wife, Rachel, they're following the call of God in their lives to not only build this boat and for their family, I think of five, to live on this boat, but to sail all over the world to do ministry, to encourage churches and leaders and just be a part of the kingdom of God around the world. He's kind of a, they're kind of a modern day Noah and Mrs. Noah, you know, like it's just pretty incredible story. Some people just love, they have found that their love for being on the water and sailing, they're going to sort of couple that with encouraging the church and doing ministry all over the world. This month, we've been trying to focus on good news. We're going to come back to that idea in a minute. There's a lot of bad news in this world, but here's a story I found on uh, ABC News, I believe. This is a, a 90-year-old waterman. Let's watch this. Finally tonight, one woman who proves age is just a number. CBS's Steve Hartman goes on the road with a 103-year-old lobster woman who shows no signs of stopping. Max Oliver is an old salt, but to his crewmate on this lobster boat, Max is but a child, her child. As we first reported a couple years ago, then 101-year-old Virginia Oliver was Maine's oldest lobster fisherman. Three days a week, May through November, you could find Virginia out here on Penobscot Bay, tackling one of the most hazardous jobs in the country. Have they ever gotten you? Of course. <laughs> Once she got cut so badly, she needed seven stitches. And the doctor said to me, what are you out there lobstering for? Good question. And I said, because I want to. I think he might have thought that was a little too dangerous for somebody well, of your age. I don't care what he thought. Clearly. Yeah. Virginia had been lobstering on and off since the age of seven. She used to go out with her father. It was man's work then, not another girl in sight. But nine decades later, she was the master of the sea after Max hauled in the traps. Virginia measured the lobsters, tossed out the small ones, throw it away. and then tamed the claws of the keepers. Who's the boss out there? I am. <laughs> she don't give up. What would she say if you said, I'm ready to retire? You better have something wrong with you. You better have something wrong with you. It's been two years since our visit, and I'm happy to report that almost nothing has changed. Later this month, at the age of 103, Virginia will begin her 95th lobstering season. 
There's a children's book now, and she's gained some celebrity. But Virginia remains the same humble lobster woman with the same retirement plan. When I die. When you die. Yeah. <laughs> In other words, no time soon. Steve Hartman, on the road in Rockland, Maine. Great, that's a great story. I love uh, Virginia, 100-year-old uh, lobster woman, right? If, look, if you're here today and you're retired, shame on you. I mean, come on. <laughs> Go get a job, do something, right? What an amazing lady. Uh, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God. And last week, we decided that that's kind of what we're doing here. Our, our mission as a church is to love God, love each other, love the world. And that first part of our mission to love God, it's really about our hearts overflowing with praise for God. And we come here together and we sing together and we worship together. We pray prayers together. We encourage one another, right? And then Jesus goes on to say the second is simple, love God, but also love your neighbor. And today I want to talk about this idea of loving each other and how we as a church uh, sort of aim to do that intentionally. We hope it happens all the time, but we want you to know how you can kind of come alongside us as a church and help us accomplish our mission to love each other. Mark chapter 4 tells an amazing story that happens on the water. In this story, we see in Jesus both his humanity and his divinity. Jesus has finished his sermon in parables uh, in the first part of chapter 4, and there's such a, such a crowd that he decides to get away for a little bit, right? Here, here we see at the very beginning of the story a little bit of Jesus' humanity. Even, even Jesus needed to get away, needed a little bit of a break. Verse 35 starts us off. So that day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. So to get away from the crowd who were trying to get at Jesus, he gets into a boat with his disciples. Now, his disciples were his closest friends. Right? These were the, the men who uh, he had called into ministry. These were the men who later would become the apostles, right, as Jesus left them in charge of the church with this daunting task to share the good news about Jesus with everyone. And so he heads, heads out on the sea in probably a fishing boat. The text says here there were other boats with him. So I think the crowd was so intent on seeing Jesus, that some of them jumped into their own boats or chartered a boat or talked, uh, you know, talked Virginia into letting them in her boat. Um, and they followed Jesus and the disciples. Jesus' popularity was so great that he could hardly get away from the public. But even Jesus needs a respite. And all of a sudden, verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So the Sea of Galilee sits in a basin 685 feet below sea level, surrounded by hills of 2,000 feet or more. When the winds came across those hills, they swept down quickly with great force. The Greek word here used for furious squall, the NIV translates it furious squall, uh, is laipas, which means of uncertain derivation or a whirlwind, a squall, a storm, a tempest. It's the same word used in Greek to describe a hurricane. Now, there's not hurricanes in the Sea of Galilee, but it's a big storm that sort of comes out of nowhere, sort of sweeps down over these hills 
into this sea that's at the basin or the valley. It's a tremendously powerful storm. You ever been in the mountains or somewhere and a storm come up? This fall, I was in Colorado for a church planting summit. Church leaders from all over the country get together, talk about how to plant more churches, how to lead and start new churches. And the meeting was held at the YMCA Conference Center in Estes Park, Colorado. Uh, It's a beautiful place. Some of you, I hope, have been there. It's also where Rocky Mountain National Park is, if you've heard of that. It's a beautiful place. I encourage you to go. But down in the valley between the mountains that sort of create this bowl is the town of Estes Park. And at the bottom of this valley, in the middle of this town, is Fishing Creek or Fish Creek. And there just happened to be, just happened to be, a golf course on Fish (laughs) Creek. Creek that kind of went along that creek. And so, of course, I took my clubs and I got a buddy who was uh, from Virginia. He was bringing his clubs and we played golf while we were out there. And the weather was kind of weird. It was sunny where we were, but you could see kind of dark clouds in the distance, sort of on the other side of uh, the western side of those mountains. And as we walked to the first tee, all of a sudden it began to not rain, not snow, as you might think, but out of nowhere, it began to hail. Here's a little uh, news report I did uh, of the scene. Got the tee off here in Estes Park, Colorado, and apparently we got some hail. first. Notice my weather report is 100% accurate, right? 100% accurate. Uh, One minute, it's sunny and beautiful, and in about five minutes, uh, we're getting pelted with like pea size or not quite marble size hail. It was, it was actually pretty awesome. I was, it was really cool. Sometimes, yes, that was, that was on uh, first tee. Uh, We had to clear the, a space on the green on one and two, but after that, it kind of, it warmed up enough to, to clear the greens. But, you know, sometimes storms can pop up out of nowhere, and especially like that when you're surrounded by some elevation. And that's the way it was there when the disciples got on the boat in the Sea of Galilee. And what is Jesus doing? Look at verse 38. It says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, again, Jesus, in all of his humanity, right, he's tired. He gets in the boat. He finds a cushion. Uh, He needs to get away. He's drained from teaching. He's drained from healing. He's drained not because God gets tired, but because Jesus in human form, God incarnate, did. And it shows his humanity. He's sleeping while the disciples are panicking, truthfully. I read this week that this is the only place in Scripture where the Bible indicates that Jesus was asleep. It's not that he didn't sleep, but he just wasn't so curious before, right? This one is because he was sleeping through this furious storm. Sleep is certainly one of the most natural things that we do. We all need to recharge our batteries, It's not unusual that Jesus would sleep, but it is a little unusual that he would sleep under these conditions. It's this crazy storm. The boat is being swamped. It's taking on water. The disciples are frantic, and Jesus is asleep. The disciples are in a bit of a dilemma. 
This is probably a sturdy, steady, but slow fishing boat. 13 of them on this vessel would certainly be a full house. But they cannot row or paddle fast enough to get out of the way of the storm, nor can they bail fast enough to keep the boat from being swamped. So in a panic, maybe even a little put out at Jesus, they wake him, and he does the impossible. Verse 39 says, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Have you ever seen the stillness of a lake, like right at the break of day or early in the morning? Not a ripple, right? Not a wave, nothing moving. That's the power of Jesus' voice. From storm raging, swamping the boat, to not a ripple. It, it just never occurred to the disciples that someone could, just by the sound of their voice, bring a raging storm to a place of calm. Not someone, only Jesus. Verse 40 says, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, maybe I'm reading a little too much into this, but I think Jesus is a little put out. After all, he's human, and they just woke him up, right? How many of us, out of a dead sleep, are exactly happy about someone waking us up, right? Maybe I'm not giving Jesus enough credit. I'm, it's fair. I apologize. But to me, it's like, what's going on, guys? Don't you have enough faith? Verse 41 says, they were terrified. And asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, I don't know if I've ever been terrified. Like, that's kind of another level scared. I've been in a few situations in my life where I was scared. Uh, one year, uh, I went to Times Square with a buddy of mine and, uh, for New Year's Eve. I got in that hubbub, and at the end of it, it's not the New Year's Eve. It's not the ball drop. It's not the everybody, you know, throwing up stuff and screaming Happy New Year. It's not old anxiety or New York, New York playing on loudspeakers. It's getting out of there, which was terrifying or scary, right? Like, people going everywhere. There's all kinds of stuff happening, and I was like, I can't get out of here fast enough. So I was scared that night a little bit. I've paddled out as a non-surfer, as someone who has a surfboard but is a, isn't great at surfing. I've paddled out in surf that was too big, and I've been scared. My wedding day, looking down that aisle, recognizing uh, my future, like I was excited, but I was a little scared about all that. The phrase in the Greek that reads, they were very much, reads it this way, they were very much afraid. Jesus speaks to the wind and the waves, and the wind and waves obey and are immediately still. And the disciples were very much afraid. That word afraid in the Greek means they were in awe. It's not like they were terrified. I mean, their hearts were probably beating. They were scared of the wind and waves. But what Jesus did, they were in awe of. They were very much afraid. They were very much in awe. They were very much uh, in reverence to him. Their words give us a clue. Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. See, I think in this world, there's a lot of fear. 
we sang about it. There's a lot of bad news. And I think it's reasonable because this world that we live in is broken. Right? Since the Garden of Eden, since Adam and Eve brought sin into the world, there's brokenness. And because of that brokenness, there's bad news every day. Jesus said it this way. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In this one verse is the gospel, is the good news that we've been talking about all this month. God wants us to have peace. And the story of the Bible is the story of God working to bring us back to himself, working for us to have peace with him and peace with each other. The Bible word for that is redemption. God has been working all this time to buy us back, to redeem us. The reality is that in this world, there will always be trouble because this world is broken by the sin that we've brought into existence. But there is good news. Jesus has overcome the world. See, if we know this, if we are aware of our situation, then for us today, then really there's just one question I want us to consider. Who will you have in your boat? Who are you going to get in the boat with? With with whom are you going to do life? Let me give you three suggestions. The first one's fairly obvious. How about, let's start with Jesus, right? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. The wind died down, and it was completely calm. See, when life gets difficult, when there's trouble, you're going to want Jesus in your boat. He can make the toughest days calm. He's the master of the wind and waves. Jesus talked about how to face storms in Matthew chapter 7. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When you put your trust in Jesus and live by his teaching, it's like building your life on a solid foundation. You want your life to be better? Look at Jesus, listen to his words, build your life around that. When you leave Jesus out of your life, when you choose not to have Jesus in your boat, so to speak, Storms come and overwhelm you, get swamped, and life gets tougher. Let me give you another suggestion. Notice here that there were other disciples in the boat. Verse 35 says that when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. So this is where today's teaching really changes. You would expect to come come to church and the preacher say, get in the boat with Jesus, right? That's sort of a Sunday school answer. I gave you that. And it's true. Your life is better. When the storms of life come, you want Jesus in the boat. But here's where the real message begins. Beyond Jesus, who are you living life with? Who's in your boat? You spend time with other disciples, other Christians, 
Are you surrounding yourself with others who are also in the boat with Jesus? Sunday school answer is Jesus, right? But that's the right answer, but that's not all who were in the boat. There were other disciples, weren't there? Notice what happens when the storm comes. <laughs> they all panic. Jesus was in the stern, verse 38, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? See, there's something powerful about working through life's problems together. At least if they're going to drown, they're going to do it together, right? Something powerful about that. Years ago, I was a youth minister at a church in Virginia, uh, more than 15 years ago, probably 18 years ago. And the church had all a pretty strong Sunday school, but... Um, as generations changed and life got busier and busier and they stopped having sort of the Wednesday night prayer meeting and youth group nights, so Sunday school attendance and, and, and some of those things started to fade a bit. People were just busy. And so the preacher at that church asked me to organize and launch a small group ministry in people's homes, right, during the week, wherever, wherever they lived and whatever night they wanted to meet. And so I did and we did. I think we had maybe eight groups that met uh, once we kind of got it up and running. The group that I, I went to was mostly the parents of the students in the youth ministry that was my primary job. Matter of fact, the teens met at the same house in a different room while myself and some of the parents of those teens met in another part. And one night after months of meeting together, we started with prayer requests. We were just getting going, and one of the ladies in the group shared that her husband was having an affair. He was not in the group that night. The other ladies in the group immediately went to her, like physically got up out of their seats and went to her, held her hand, kneeled down next to her, started praying with her. And that's what we did that night, right? There was a storm in her life, and we were in the boat with her. Now, the guys were like deer in the headlights, right? But the ladies in that group were rock stars. They set up coffee with her throughout the week. They sat with her on Sundays. They did not let her be alone. They did not let her, you know, spiral. They were in the storm with her. And it doesn't always happen this way, but that family survived the storm. She and her husband reconciled and are still married today. See, we all need other disciples in the boat with us, don't we? Let me give you one more suggestion. It's also good to not only have Jesus, get in the boat with Jesus, absolutely. Get in the boat with other disciples, other Christians, do life together, but also get in the boat with somebody who has some experience. Notice this. Jesus said that day, he came, he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. When the, when the text says he said to his disciples, at least four of those disciples were fishermen, right? They're watermen. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, their vocation before they met Jesus was fishing. They knew their way around a boat. They knew their way around the Sea of Galilee. Mark chapter 1, Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, sees Peter and Andrew. Verse 17 says, come follow me, Jesus said and I'll send you out to fish for people. Just up the beach, he sees James and John, also fishermen. He calls them to follow, and they leave their nets and follow Jesus. So in the boat that night were some men who were accustomed to being on the water. Now, I wouldn't have gotten in the boat at night, right? 
if there were not some skilled watermen in the group. And even though in this case they were all overwhelmed, it was a good idea to get in the boat with someone who knew what they were doing, who had some experience. Same is true in life. Right? When storms come, it's good to be in the boat with someone who's been through some storms. Last year, Mark Caspero uh, played bass up here. He's an avid fisherman. Where's Mark? I think he, is he in here? There he is. Mark's an avid fisherman. Uh, I think it was last year, maybe in the year before, um, invited me and Micah to go fishing with him. Now, listen, side note, hang around Mark because he will take you fishing. Like, if you like fishing, side note, he will take you fishing. So we did. Mark, got, we got up early. We met him at his house. We drove over to where he keeps his boat. We got on a boat. And uh, Mark's a skilled fisherman. He's, he's on the water several times a week. I think good weather, bad weather. And we had a good morning. We enjoyed getting out on the water. Uh, we didn't catch anything. It wasn't Mark's fault. I'm sure it was mine. Um, but we had a few nibbles, and we just had a great time out there on the water. But you know what would have been a terrible idea? If Micah and I had gone out on the boat alone. <laughs> that would have been a disaster, right? That would have been called the Coast Guard type situation uh, for, for he and I. Why? Because we don't have a lot of experience on boats. See, we all need the experience of someone who has been on the water, who's seen a few things, who's maybe been through a few storms themselves. See, if you want to live this life, if you want to get through what Jesus calls the trouble of this life, first of all, make sure you're in the boat with Jesus. Secondly, get some other people around you who love you and love Jesus and do life together. Thirdly, make sure some of those people have some experience. Because if you've been through some storms, guess what? The next storm isn't quite as harrowing. It's not quite as terrifying, is it? And it's good to be close to those people. The question for us today is this. Who are you getting in the boat with? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this time that we have today to learn and to grow. But Lord, we understand, as Micah said so well during our announcements, that we can only do so much in this room together. There's a brief conversation, there's some coffee, there's some fellowship, there's certainly some worship together, but Lord, we're just scratching the surface of getting to know each other here on Sundays. So Father, I just, I just pray that you move in each of us, that we might decide and make the necessary arrangements to get in the boat with somebody to share life with people who have the same goals in mind, who have the same idea of uh, living for Christ and living with Christ in our lives. Some people who have experience. Not perfect people, but people who love you and know you. Lord, that we might just do life together. And God, I just pray that you kind of move in us and through us today that, that you would, uh, maybe if we're, we're shy or unsure about going to somebody's house and sitting in a small group with them, Lord, just, I just pray you take that anxiety away. Because sitting in someone's living room is a lot less anxious than waiting through a storm alone. So God, I just pray that you would give us your peace. Give us that calm that comes by knowing your son, Jesus. Lord, help us to live our lives in community, 
in relationship with others who are trying to do the same thing and know the same Jesus. We pray this in his name.